God, we love you. We're thankful for you. God, this, this week of Thanksgiving is a time where we can remember all that we are thankful for. And God, we are thankful for so much this morning. We're thankful for our families. We're thankful for a place to, to meet every weekend where we can come and pray and worship and just be together. We're thankful for you and all that you've done in our lives and all that you bless us with, God. We, we are just blessed by you. So God, this week as we go, would we, would we just be thankful? But God, we are, we're also thankful for your word. And this morning, as we, as we take some time and we dive into another story this morning, would you just would you speak through me this morning? Would the words that come out of my mouth not be my words? Would they be your words for your people? God, we are here to hear from you every single week, God, and this week is no different. God, speak through me. And speak through your word. And would this word shape us and challenge us this morning? We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, we are uh, in the eighth and most likely final week of our series. I'm not going to put a def, I'm not going to put a period on it yet, but we're going to probably going to put a period on this thing. Uh, on this, this story series. It's been a great series so far as we have. We've gone through this book. We've gone through Old Testament, some New Testament, and just looked at some of the stories in here that, that, that are here for a reason, right? This, this whole book is a story from Genesis to Revelation, and we are in there right between Jude and Revelation. We are in this story right now, but, but these stories are here for a reason. Some of these stories we look at, and, and sometimes we're tempted to just say, well, that's a Sunday school story. I'm going to teach my kids that, but what does that have to do for me today? And so we've been trying to, to maybe look at some of those stories that we, that we view in that lens, and what, what can these stories mean to me today? How can these stories, which are in this book for a reason, change and shape and challenge my faith. So far, over the seven weeks, we've looked at, at Daniel and Jonah and Esther and Joshua and Naaman and Jairus. And last week, we looked at the disciples, and we have talked about how to stand in what we believe in, how to be bold like Joshua, how faith and risk are necessary. And faith and risk can be, can be a catalyst for our faith, just like we saw in Esther, we saw in Naaman the, the, the not having a need for everything to be explained to us before we say yes to God. We, last week we looked at, at the disciples and what happens, how do we have faith on rough seas? We have talked about being persistent in our prayers and in our faith, and this week we're going to look at, at another maybe familiar story and we're going to look at, at Peter, look at a story in the life of Peter. This is probably one of my favorite stories in all of Scripture. I know I say that probably a lot, but this one really is one of my favorite stories in all of Scripture. We're going to look at Peter and look at a time in which Peter literally and figuratively had to step out on faith. He had to step out on faith. And Matthew chapter 14 is where we're going to be this morning. <clears throat> Matthew chapter 14 we're going to start at verse 22. If you are in one of our pew Bibles on page 840, and I want to just, as you're turning there and as you're getting there, I'll just give you the setting. Right? We, are, 
We're not in Mark anymore, but we are around that lake still. We are still around the Sea of Galilee. Like I said, uh, in the last few weeks, a lot of Jesus' ministry and, and really a lot of the fun stories that we have about Jesus happen around this lake. It's, a, it's about a third of the size of Lake Tahoe, just to give you a size uh, comparison here. It's more of a lake than it is a sea, but it is the Sea of Galilee. Jesus, as we get started here, Excuse me. Has literally just fed the five thousand people. All right. We read the very first word in in this passage that we're going to read this morning is immediately. Right. Jesus has just fed the five thousand, and immediately we're going to get started here uh, in in Matthew. Uh, there's there's no space here. It's immediately. Jesus had just fed the five thousand people, and immediately. Here's let's just we're just going to start going. Matthew chapter fourteen, starting at verse. 22. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. Who is this crowd? Like I said, this is the crowd of the 5,000, 5,000 men, not including women and children, that Jesus has just fed. And we know from that story that it is already getting late. Right? In verse 15, the disciples are wondering, how are we going to feed these people? And the question they ask Jesus is, it's already getting late. Let's send these people home so they can eat, right? It's already getting late. It's already getting later in the day. And it says that Jesus makes them get into a boat and go on ahead of him. Now, who are these guys? Who, what do we know about these, these men that Jesus is talking to? These disciples, at least a few of them, are fishermen. Fishermen know better than to get onto the Sea of Galilee in the middle of the night. So I find this very interesting that Jesus made them get into the boat and go to the other side. He wasn't asking them. He didn't tell them to. It says Jesus made them get into the boat and go over to the other side. Now, again, these are, these are fishermen. They know the Sea of Galilee, late, is not the place to be. We talked about this last week. If you, wanna, if you want any more information on that, think about last week. That the Sea of Galilee at night can be like a cauldron. It, it's just it's the waves. It's choppy. It's pretty nasty, especially if the wind pops up, which we see happens. Right? We'll continue. Verse 23. After he had dismissed them, and he's talking about the crowd. After he dismissed the crowd, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. Later that night, he was alone, and the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. What do we see here? We see exactly why probably the disciples didn't want to go over there and why Jesus had to make them go out there. They're getting buffeted, which I looked that up this week. That just means just thrashed by the waves. It's, it's, a, it's a violent word. It says the, the, literally the, in the definition of the dictionary is to strike repeatedly and violently. Right? They are being struck repeatedly and violently by these waves because the wind was against them. And here's Jesus. Jesus, even, even in this verse, it says later that night, there's, there's some time that has passed here even after he goes to pray. He goes up on the mountainside to pray. He dismisses these people, dismisses the crowd. He sends the disciples on their way. He goes up on the mountainside to pray. And then it says later that night, he's by himself. And the disciples are out in this boat, which is already a considerable distance out of the way, just being thrashed by the waves because the wind is against them. 
Now, you can see this time of passage has, or this passage of time has happened here. Later that night, they're already way out there. And then the very next verse, shortly before dawn, shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake. Some of your versions might say, during the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went out. Now, during the fourth watch of the night is somewhere between 3 o'clock and 6 o'clock in the morning. Jesus begins to go out to the disciples, and he's walking on the lake. I want you to, to just notice here, sometimes we, <clears throat> we just see these words, walking on the lake. <clears throat> Excuse me. And we just are immediately captured by that. But I want you to notice one of the smaller details in the stories, and that's how much time has passed. Jesus has, it's getting late while he's feeding the 5,000. He makes the disciples get into the boat. He dismisses the crowd. He goes up on a mountain to pray. Later that night, he's, he's looking over the water. The disciples are a considerable distance away. And then it says, shortly before dawn, during the fourth watch of the night, between three and six in the morning, Jesus begins to walk out to the disciples. Just this, this timeline is really interesting for me. And it actually... It makes a lot of sense to me, at least in the context of my life. Because doesn't it feel sometimes that it's during this waiting period that our faith is tested a little bit? You can see the disciples are just kind of in this, this holding pattern. They are, they are in the middle of this, this, it might not be a storm, but man, there's some... There's some mess to get through on the Sea of Galilee right now. They are dealing with a lot. They're, they're going through a pretty, pretty rough time as they are being buffeted. They are being thrashed by the wind and the waves, and Jesus is on the shore. Time passes, and have you ever noticed that Jesus comes to the rescue only when all the other means of rescue have been, have been exhausted? That's kind of a common theme in Scripture, that, that, and it feels often true for us as well, that Jesus comes to the rescue only when all other options for rescue have been exhausted. Right? You look in Scripture and you see, you see this story, but you, you see uh, even last week, calming the storm. Right? All, <laughs> he comes and it almost seems like he's late. Right? You look at, at Jairus two weeks ago, and Jairus and his daughter the daughter dies. Jesus is, is late. Even that same week that we were talking about that woman who's been bleeding for 12 weeks. Man, that seems a little bit late. It seems like Jesus is, is, is late here, but I, I could keep going and going and going all throughout Scripture. It seems like when Jesus responds, when Jesus comes to the rescue, think of Lazarus. Lazarus has been dead for four days before Jesus gets there. It seems like all other options for rescue have been exhausted. But here's something that I know about Jesus, especially in Scripture. Jesus is rarely early, but he is never late. Jesus is rarely early, but he's never late. Sometimes I have to remind myself of that. As I feel like I'm waiting on Jesus, I feel like I, 
I'm, I'm going through a ton. I feel like, man, Jesus, this is kind of a late response from you. I feel like I should have heard from you already. I feel like I should have seen something already. I feel like you should have responded already. Jesus is, is rarely early, but Jesus is never late. He's never late. We'll, we'll keep going here. Verse 25. Shortly, well, we'll start at verse 25 again. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them, and he's walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, Take courage, it is I. Don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat. He walked on the water, and he came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said, why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, truly, you are the Son of God. When they had crossed over, they landed at Genesaret, and the, people, and the men of that place recognized Jesus. They sent word to all the surrounding country. People brought all their sick to him and begged him to let the sick just touch the edge of his cloak, and all who touched it were healed. This, this story, I, I find this story just fascinating. The courage of Peter, the boldness of Peter, but also the, the fear of Peter. Right, there's, a, there's a transformation that takes place in the story, I think, in the, in the life of Peter, <clears throat> at least an attempt of a transformation in the life of Peter, that I think is an important transformation for all of us to make in our own lives, and that is a transformation from being someone defined by fear to being someone who's defined by our faith. Being someone who is who is afraid to being someone who is just faithful. All right, Peter, Peter's transformation here, it's, it's one that we're called to over and over in Scripture. One of the most common commands that we read in Scripture from Jesus and otherwise, from God in the Old Testament, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Angel comes to Mary, don't be afraid. We read, don't be afraid all the time in Joshua. Right, right here, he's telling the disciples, what, even last week, what are you afraid of? Right, this week, why, why are you afraid? No, he doesn't say that. He says, take courage, don't be afraid. Right, don't be afraid. I think that he, if we have a confidence that he is with us, then we don't need to be afraid. And we can know that cognitively, but not know that practically. I think we do most of the time. We know that. We know this to be true, that if we truly believe that God is with us always and that God can overcome anything and that God's word is powerful, it's alive and it's active, that God is with us, that we can pray and that if he, is, he is here, he is in our midst, that he is everywhere, God is omnipresent, that God is omniscient, he knows everything that we're going through, that, that God cares for us, we can know all of these things and cognitively know if this is true, I shouldn't be afraid. But 
We're human, and we have fears. Every single one of us has fears. Unless you're a dad, and your kids think you just have no fear. Hayden asked me the other day, Daddy, what are you afraid of? And I wanted to say nothing really bad. I really did. Because we don't want to be afraid. But we all have fears. Some of our fears are more anxiety than fears. If you're like me, you have some PTSD from when you learn to drive, and every time a police officer pulls up behind you, your heart skips a beat a little bit, and you just... I know I'm not doing anything wrong. I know I'm not speeding. I know, it's just a little PTSD from earlier in my driving uh, life. Right? So, some of us have some, some fears like that. We have some, you know, some of, these, some of these things. We have some anxieties that happen. And some of us, are, some of us have some irrational fears, too. I remember a while back, I was, I was really afraid of bridges. You can ask Rach. I, I was super afraid of bridges. I hated going to bridges. When we go to San Francisco, Excuse me, San Francisco, I would hate to go over the Bay Bridge. I don't mind bridges anymore. It, it doesn't bother me anymore. I got over it because it's an irrational fear, I think. It, it's, it's not going to fall unless it does, right? <laughs> <laughs> but it's, it's, it's one of those fears. Some of us have some fears that are a little bit irrational. But we're all afraid. We all have fears. I think really the, the question is what do we do with our fears? Most of the time when, we have, when we're afraid, we, do, we internalize it. We just, okay, I'm afraid of that. I'm going to suck it up, and we're going to keep going. Right? Rachel's afraid of spiders. It's one of her fears. I got a call one day, or a text, I think. I don't know which one it was, when we were in Lompoc, and it was, there's a present waiting for you when you get home. And there was a spider in our house that had been hairsprayed and a cup put over it because she couldn't kill it and she couldn't touch it, but she wanted me to take care of it. She's, she's afraid of spiders. All of us have some sort of fears. The question is, what do we do with our fears? Do we internalize it and kind of suck it up, or do we, do we give it over to God and say, it's yours now? Right? Do, we, do we internalize it? Do we, do we just try and deal with it on our own? Do we just try and kind of get through the pain, just get through everything, or do we turn it over to God? Here's the thing we need to do, though. I, I think all of us would know that the right answer here is when we are afraid, we give it to God. We, in our psalm series, we read David sing this psalm, When I am afraid, I will trust in you, in God whose word I praise. This is, this is the, the scriptural thing to do with fear, is to trust in God, to give it to God. But first, before we can even give it to God, we have to identify what it is. There are some things that we're afraid of. We're afraid of the unknown, right? We are afraid of the unknown. We don't know what is going on or we don't know what will happen. We're afraid. And you, you saw this even in this story. The disciples are afraid. They look out on the water and they have no idea who this is coming at them. It says even in Scripture, they think it's a ghost and so they're afraid. Now, you can imagine with me a little bit that if they would have known ahead of time that this was Jesus, now they would have been a little freaked out, obviously. They were a little freaked out when he gets in last week. He, gets, he calms the storm, they're a little freaked out there. They, he gets in the boat and the wind dies down, and even now they're, 
this, that truly you are the Son of God. They're a little bit freaked out, but I think if they would have known that Jesus was the one that walking, was walking on the water, it wouldn't have been necessarily a, a reaction of fear. You see that in Peter. As soon as Peter figures out that this is Jesus walking on the water, Peter tries to, Jesus, if this is you, then, then I want that. <laughs> like, let me walk on water too. Call me out to you. I want to do what you are doing. I want to walk on this water. He, he, gives his, he gives over this fear. We know later that he sees the wind and he sees the waves and he gives it into fear. But we need to figure out, so some of us are, are afraid of the unknown. I think this is probably the most common fear, being afraid of the unknown. Whether it be like unknown future or unknown right now. One of the scariest moments of my life was, was this fear. About a few months after we got married, we went camping in, in Flagstaff, Arizona. And during this camping trip, both Rachel and I, it was getting a little dark, we had the fire going, and both of us started to sense this, this fear. We started to get uncomfortable. And we said to each other, you want to just sleep in the car tonight? It was one of these, yeah, we'll sleep in the car tonight. This is, this is what, we're not sleeping in the tent we're going to sleep in the car. So we go to sleep in the car. At about 1 o'clock in the morning, our car alarm goes off. Mind you, we are in the car. So we wake up, find the key, turn the alarm off, and just start talking. Maybe that was us. Maybe we rolled over and made a little movement in the car, and the alarm went off. All right, we'll just try and be still. Let's do this, right? Go back to sleep. 30 minutes later, our car alarm goes off again. And we are even more scared at this point, right? Looking around, we don't see anything outside. I don't think either of us were super asleep yet at that point, and so we knew that it wasn't us. But all right, we'll go back to sleep. Go back to sleep. About 30 minutes later, our car alarm goes off again. And I just said, Rachel, you stay down. I jumped. We had a SUV at the point. I jumped over the back seat into the driver's seat, turned on the car, backed up. And as I backed up, I hit something, but we just left. We were gone. We left the campground. We slept in the parking lot of a grocery store that night. We were debating whether or not to even go back and get our stuff. This is how afraid we were of this point. We, were, we didn't know what it was. I didn't know what I had hit. But the next morning, we woke up. The sun came up. Light makes you a little more brave, I think. And so we went back to the campground and just started just throwing everything in the back. We didn't pack anything up nicely. It was, we'll do this when we get home. Let's just throw this in, and we'll drive back to Phoenix, and we'll be done. Right? So we go, and we throw all our stuff in. And I'm looking around at this campground. And I can see my tire marks from the night before, and there is nothing behind me. There is nothing that I could have hit that, that night. There is nothing. I, we still don't know what that was. And still, right now, even as I tell that story, I'm getting chills up my arms. Like, I'm still, I will not go back to that campground. I'm done. Right? I, I, I still, that's a scary story because I just don't know. What was that? Was it an animal? I, I, don't, I don't even know what it was. It was making our car alarm go off, but it just felt wrong. We were 
afraid of the unknown. Right? We're also afraid of, uh, of the unlikely. The unlikely. I remember a while back there was, this, there was a story that said that there was like a mile-wide asteroid coming for Earth, and it was going to, to make contact with Earth at thousands of miles an hour, and it was, quote, going to, <clears throat> well, I shouldn't quote it and then not, not say it right, quote, threaten the existence of modern civilization. It was going to be dark and stay dark. It was going to kill crops. It was going to do all this stuff. Let alone if it hit you, you were done, obviously. And then at the, at the very bottom of this article, the chances of this happening are like, and it said the odds, it was like just crazy small. But we thought this needed to be public information. It was like, you have so many people right now just scared to death that there is a mile-wide asteroid coming to Earth that's going to hit us and destroy modern civilization. Oh, P.S., it's probably not going to happen. Right? We're, we're scared sometimes of, of the unlikely, things that probably aren't going to happen. Y2K is another great example, being afraid of the unlikely. Right? We're, tra- we're afraid of the uncontrollable. We worry about things that we cannot control. We want control. We want, we want to have control over what happens in our life. Right? We're worried about things that we can't change, and, it, and that's pointless, but, but we can't help it. We want control. Dr. Edward Hallowell says there's two ingredients to fear. He says there's a heightened sense of vulnerability and a diminished sense of power. And when you find yourself in that situation, you find yourself in, with not a lot of control over what's going on. We want to have control over our lives, and we're afraid of, of not having control. And we're afraid of the unavoidable. Sometimes we, we fear, one of, the, one of the most feared things in the world is the fear of death. It's unavoidable. There's a 100% death rate in the human race. But we're afraid of it. We're afraid of, of things that we, that we just can't, can't avoid, things that are going to come our way that we can't avoid. And so in these situations, when we are afraid, we have a choice to make. Will we give in to our fear? Or will we step out in faith? I think of Peter at this point, having to make this decision. <laughs> Peter has just spent almost all night battling this storm with his fellow disciples. They've been thrashed by the wind and the waves on a sea that claimed a lot of lives and a lot of boats. And here's Peter, and he sees Jesus, and he knows it's Jesus. He's been dealing with a sea that is choppy and nasty and just battling the ship all night. And he has a choice to make. Will I continue to be afraid or will I trust in Jesus? And we see Peter's response. Jesus, if that is you, call me out on the water as well. And so, of course, Jesus seeing Peter's faith, come, come on out. 
And Peter gets out on the boat and begins to walk on the water. Then what happens is he looks around and he's reminded of all the things that he is afraid of in this moment. He looks around and he sees that no longer is he protected from, these wind, from this wind and these waves by a boat and, and people in the boat who knew what they were doing. He's, he's isolated out on the water that he is afraid of. And he's looking at Jesus and he walks on water. But as soon as he looks away from Jesus, as soon as he, as he, as he looks around and begins to be reminded of all the things that he is afraid of, he begins to sink and he cries out to God, to Jesus, Jesus, save me, Lord, save me. And Jesus lifts him up out of the water. And I want you to, to hear again what Jesus says to him. You of little faith. Now, just that statement by itself. You have to remember what Peter has just done. Peter has just walked on water. If there is anybody that has shown a little bit of faith, it's Peter in this moment. And Jesus looks at him and he says, you of little faith. Why did you doubt? You of little faith, why, why did you doubt? Why did you doubt? Here's something interesting that I heard a while back. <coughs> There's a pastor who was talking about this moment in particular. Peter getting out on the boat. He sees Jesus. says, Jesus, this is you. Then come. Then tell me to come. And Jesus says, come. Peter steps out of the water. Steps out of the boat. Begins to walk on the water. But as soon as he looks around and begins to realize what he's afraid of, he sinks. Now, who lost faith in this instance? Peter. Loses track of what he's, what he's going for. I think, I think sometimes we, we talk about our faith in Jesus. Our faith in God. But I think looking at this, at this passage, at this story, you could make a pretty clear argument that Jesus had faith in Peter as well. Amen. That Peter could do what he was doing. And I just want to say this morning that Jesus has faith in you as well. That you can do what he's calling you to do. Sometimes we get sidetracked by our fears. And we lose sight of Jesus. There's a reason the scripture says to fix our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer, the author, and the perfecter of our faith. Fix our eyes on him. Sometimes our eyes are on so many different places, where, and oftentimes it's, we're not on Jesus because there's other things going on in our lives, uncontrollable things, unknown things, unlikely things that are going on in our lives that we are afraid of. So how do we, how do we get rid of this? How do, we, how do we change? How do we shape our faith in this way? Well, I think the first thing is we have to face our fears. Peter got out of the boat. 
Peter got out of the boat. There's a famous book with a title, If You Want to Walk on Water, You've Got to Get Out of the Boat. Peter got out of the boat. Our instinct is stay away from the things we're afraid of. Uh, our instinct is kind of just sink away, but our instinct is not really ever to face it. I, I remember in high school, I was deathly afraid of roller coasters. I had some really weird fears in high school. Roller coasters was one. I, I didn't want to go upside down. I was fine. Like Magic Mountain, I ride the Ninja Ride, and that's just back and forth swinging, and that's totally fine. I didn't want to go upside down. So, every September in high school, we would go to Nazarene Night at Magic Mountain. And I never went on the upside down rides until one time I was dared or challenged or something. I don't know why I did it. And I just did it. I decided to suck it up and do it. I rode this same ride seven times in a row that night because when I did it, I loved it. When I faced my fear, I realized that there was nothing to be afraid of at all. Like I, I, it was, in fact, it was, it was fun. It was exciting. I, I liked it, right? We need, to, we need to face our fears. And I'm not saying if you, have a, if, if you have a rational fear, like something that you're afraid of that is definitely okay to be afraid of, right? I'm not saying if that's you, if that's your fear, just suck it up and get over it. That's not what I'm telling you this morning. I'm telling you that your fear has, has no place in your life. But you just give it to God. It's okay to be afraid of some things, but if that fear defines you or if that fear pulls you away or comes in between you and God, then it is not in the right place. We need to be able to face our fears and be able to, to give that fear to God. And then how, 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 what makes that easier is being able to remember the past. We sang this song that we, we look back and we see that God is faithful. We look ahead and we believe that He is able. Right? This, this, what just happened here in this story, was not really the first time that Jesus had, not, apart from the walking on water part, he gets into the boat and the wind dies, the wind dies down and the storm is, is calmed. That's not the first time the disciples have seen that. It happens, I mean, it happens in Mark, obviously, but it happens in Matthew chapter 8 as well. Six chapters earlier than what we're reading right now, Jesus calms the storm in Matthew. The disciples have seen this before. And still, when Jesus gets in the boat and the wind dies down, what do they, what do they say? Truly, you are the Son of God. They're still a little bit iffy on it. They're still like, who is this guy? But they get it. They look back. And I think if we, if we just look back in our lives, and see all that God has brought us through. And we see our fears through that lens. It makes it a whole lot easier to look ahead and to know that God was faithful. God is faithful. God will continue to be faithful. I'm not saying that this morning I'm curing you of all your fears. We're human. We get afraid. The decision is what do we do with the fears? Do we try to get through it? Do we try and just suck it up? Or do we give it to God and allow Him to move and to work? Philippians chapter 4, 
I know you know this first. Do not be anxious about anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Don't be anxious about anything. Don't be fearful about anything. But in everything, give your request to God. And what do we get in return from the God of love and grace? We get peace. And a peace that passes, not just any peace, a peace that passes all understanding. When you're in a situation and you're afraid, what what are you looking for in this situation? Peace. I don't know what's going to happen. I'm afraid of the unknown. I don't know what's going to happen. I I just I can't see this working out. I don't know what's going to happen. What what do you want in that situation? You want peace. God, I just feel so out of control. I don't feel like I control anything. I feel like, like my life is just spinning. It's just, I, I don't know where I can put my feet down. What do you want in that situation? You want peace. And this passage in Philippians said, if we just give our anxiety, give our fears to God, what we get in return is a peace that passes all understanding. Amen. I read this week as I was getting ready for this that someone mentioned that fear is practical atheism. Not sure I fully agree, but I think it's on the right track. Fear is practical atheism. We come in here and we sing songs about God's love and about God's power and about God's grace. We sing about how mighty he is. Blessed be your name, God. You calm all fears. That's the hymn we sing today. And yet we go out and, and we're afraid. I said practical atheism. Living as though this God that we sing about and that we pray about and that we say that we believe in isn't there. See, faith can overcome fear. And if you need proof of that, look no further than the life of Peter, who sees Jesus in the midst of chaos going around him, and he says, if that's you walking on the water, then call me out as well. And Jesus does, and he gets out of the boat, overcomes this fear, overcomes what he's, overcomes the anxiety of everything that's going on around him, and begins to walk. But as soon as he loses track, as soon as he once again sees what's around him, sees that I'm not standing on anything solid right now, I could sink, I, I should be sinking right now. But look at look all the wind and all the waves, I see all this. And what begins to happen is he begins to sink again. And he calls out to God, and Jesus saves him, pulls him up, and I mean, who knows? I've always wondered, does Jesus like pull him up and carry him to the boat? Or does Jesus pull him up and Peter walks back with him? I don't know how this story ends. That's what I want to see. That's one of those replay room nominees for me. How does Peter get back to the boat? Because he has just walked on water. So where is he? Right, but faith overcomes fear. 
every single time. We are not given a spirit of fear, a spirit of timidity, but we are given a spirit of, of power. Do not be afraid. We read over and over in Scripture. Here's the decision this week. Will you be afraid or will you give it to God and have faith? Maybe it's the unknown. Maybe it's the unlikely. Maybe it's the uncontrollable. Maybe it's the unavoidable. What are you afraid of? What will you do with it? Let's pray. God, we love you. And once again, God, we're thankful for you. We're thankful for your presence in our lives. God, we, as human beings, are fearful sometimes. God, would you just remind us in those moments that you are there, that you're with us, that you care, that you are bigger, stronger, more powerful than anything that we could possibly be going through. And God, would we not lose sight of you, even in the midst of our fears, God, would we see you and focus on you God, we, we just pray that you go ahead of us this week. Be in our workplaces. Be in our homes this week, especially as we have family in, as we have this Thanksgiving week this week. Would we just give our lives to you, give everything over to you, look more and more like you every single day and make a difference wherever we may find ourselves, God. And as other people look, and maybe they see our strength, even in, even in a moment where we maybe should be afraid, would they ask the question, and we'll be able to say, my strength comes from the Lord. God, we love you. We give you praise this morning. We give you glory and honor. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Would you stand with me this morning? As you stand, uh, just hold out your hands, receive a blessing from God as you go this morning. May our God, a God of power and strength and wisdom and love, go with you this week as you face your fears. Would he be with you and call out to you to come, and would you not lose sight of him this week? Would you make a difference wherever God puts you in whatever situation you may find yourself in? May you be a light for him this week. Go in the peace and the love of Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you for coming this morning.